pray together. Lord Jesus, we have uh, come into your presence. We have enjoyed this time of communion, of fellowship with you. As we eat this bread and we drink this juice, we are reminded of your blood and your body, which was given for us. Because you love us, because you uh, have a will to good for us, you desire that we have fellowship with you, and you, you saw a need in our life that we could not meet for ourselves. And your love came and met that need. And we bow before you and we worship you. And Lord Jesus, we hear this question from the pages of your scripture. This question, do I love you? It's very clear that you love me. But do I love you? And if I were to love you, what would that look like? How should I do that? What do you want me to do? How do you want to be loved? So teach us from your word today. Uh, Instruct us as we look at this passage together. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've got your Bibles? Turn to John chapter 21. We're going to start with verse 13. Last week, as I said, if you weren't here... Uh, we were there on the Sea of Galilee. The, the uh, seven uh, of the, Jesus' disciples were fishing, and uh, Jesus miraculously gave them this incredible catch of 153 fish. And we pick up the story in verse 13 as he meets them on the shore. They meet him on the shore, and he has a fire there waiting for them in fellowship. And so it says that Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went and you were wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, and then he said to him, Follow me. I learned something in my marriage uh, about love. And uh, maybe you have too. And I've, you know, I've, as a pastor for some 20 years, I've counseled lots of people. And I've seen a pattern. I've read about it in books, saw it in my own life, and then I've seen it in a lot of other marriages as well. seems really common. And uh, I don't know if you can identify with this or not. But uh, when I got married, when we were dating, Karen made me feel good. I just had warm, fuzzy feelings for her. Because she was beautiful, because she liked me, because she laughed at my jokes, uh, which she still does. uh, 
Um, and, and it was just, you know, I loved her. And I had these warm, fuzzy feelings for her. And that's what I called my love for her. And, and she was just so sweet and special and, and different and exciting and interesting. Uh, and I just, I just had this overwhelming excitement about being with her that carried us all the way through the wedding. Um, and, a good, and a good five years after that. And the books will tell you that that's pretty classic. That, that kind of warm, fuzzy excitement that comes from the fact that this person is beautiful or handsome or they're different from me or they're interesting, all those reasons why we get married... Uh, all of that warm fuzziness, that's what I call it, the warm fuzzy kind of love, uh, carries you along for about five years. About five years later, uh, now I, you know, I observed this in Karen. I'm not going to say I felt this way about her, but I observed this in Karen, that uh, she maybe didn't see me always as quite as handsome as I was before as the hair began to fall out and the pot belly began to grow and all of those kinds of things. And some of the excitement and the fascination with my personality began to turn into actual irritations at a lot of points that became uh, actual points not of warm, fuzzy feelings, but you got anger that you got to deal with because of the, the way this thing is going. So the very things that gave us warm, fuzzy feelings at the beginning become the things about five years down the road. It all kind of drains out. And uh, there's a, kind of an emptiness that comes into the relationship and a frustration that, that occurs there. And it's at that point a very critical thing happens. I, marriages go one of three ways. Uh, you live like that, empty, and after about 20, 30 years of that, it's, it, it gets really ugly. I mean, I've seen some incredible ugliness after 20, 30 years of that kind of emptiness in a marriage relationship. You find somebody else that does the thing that you started with and you go, oh, maybe I wasn't really in love. This person made me feel like that. And you go try it out with somebody else. And you start over in the same process. And then you just got to learn the lesson again. But a lot of people take a few shots at that. Uh, the other choice is that you learn about real love. Uh, you learn, a, and I'm not saying that the warm, fuzzy kind isn't real. The emotion, that, that's real, and it's, it's important that it be a part of a relationship. But there's something more foundational and fundamental that needs to happen in a marriage relationship. Uh, a kind of love that says, um, maybe I ought to just start asking the question, not why doesn't she make me feel the way she does, uh, used to. Maybe the question is, what could I do? to make her life better. I mean, I'm committed to this woman and I want her to be happy. How could I do that? What, what does she want? If, if, if I were to ask her, uh, what does it look like for me to really love you? What is that like? And if I were to hear from her, what's love to you look like? And then I began to do those things, meet her needs. Uh, kind of, you know, a funny thing that happens when that, when you begin to do that, when you sort of you make a commitment to the person, and then you begin to ask, what does love look like to you, and how can I meet your needs? That warm, fuzzy feeling comes back. It's like, wow, that's really you did that for me. I, that makes me feel special, and boy, do I appreciate that. And those the warmth and that that fuzziness and that attraction begins to return to the relationship. It's begins with this commitment 
and this kind of uh, uh, self-sacrificing decision to meet the needs of the other that will produce the warm, fuzzy feelings. Now, you might be wondering, okay, why am I going into all of this about the marriage? Well, it's to illustrate something. Uh, It's to illustrate something about the concept of love that I think is very fundamental, basic, and very biblical, and very important for an apprentice of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, to understand about what real love is. Uh, Biblically, I think a, a definition of love, a biblical definition of love, is love is the will to good. It is when I wish good for you, and I will do whatever it is that you need to try and meet your needs. Love is, is, uh, is that. And so real love in my marriage, the, the beginning kind of love that really is a basis for a lifetime relationship is the kind of love that asks the question, what is the good that my wife needs and how can I meet that need? What can I do to make life better for her? It's a will. I wish good for her. I want the best for her. I want her happy. And so I will do what I can to make her happy, to bring joy into her life, to meet the needs of her life. And so it's this will to good uh, when I choose to meet the needs of my spouse. Um, and the question before us today, though, and I want to go from there. And Oh, by the way, I want to make a little side. If you find yourself in your marriage in that place where the tank is kind of empty and you've run dry and you're trying to figure out uh, how to put this marriage on better footing, we got some help for you to figure out exactly how to do that, and it's called our our Marriage Dynamics class, right? That's exactly what we're going to help you figure out. How do you do that? How can you express the will to good for your spouse and to put together the marriage that God would want you to have? Sign-ups for it are out in the foyer on that table. do not delay. Uh, if that strikes a chord with you, what I was just saying, go out there and sign up and, and it will help you answer those questions. Uh, but my point here is to illustrate this concept of love and, and to apply it to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Today's passage has this question for us. Jesus is asking Peter do you love me? And as I, I, you know, whenever I see a thing like that, I'm, I'm assuming that that's in the Bible, not just for Peter. That's for me. That's, the Holy Spirit wants me to ask that question. It's like Jesus is speaking to me from the Scriptures, and He's asking this question. Jesus is asking me, Do you love me, Ron, son of Ronald? Uh, do, you, do you love me? And today's passage has a really good word for those of us who have failed Jesus. It's real important that we understand the context of this. Peter miserably failed Jesus. Uh, You can read about it in John 18 and the other Gospels. But, you know, uh, Jesus, um, Peter had strongly uh, stated that, you know, no matter what anybody else would do, he would follow Christ. You know, and he, you know, brash Peter, you know, really ready to step up. But when push came to shove, when it really came down to it, and it's interesting that the story of Peter's denial took place around a fire in the evening or in the morning. Uh, and uh, three times Peter, people accused Peter of knowing Jesus 
And three times Peter said, no, 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 not me. You've got, the, you've got it all wrong. As a matter of fact, one of them, the Bible's real clear, is this little girl. There's a little girl that comes up to Peter and asks, yeah, didn't you, weren't you with, with Jesus? You know, you could imagine this little squeaky voice. Weren't you with Jesus? Uh, and big old tough Peter the fisherman cowers away and says, no, 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 not me. I didn't know him. In Jesus' darkest hour, in the moment when one of his closest friends, where you would want him to stand up with you in his, in his, his neediest hour, Peter miserably failed Jesus and failed the movement and failed uh, those that he was supposed to be leading. And so now after Christ's resurrection, on that beach, around that fire, and I, you know, I'm sure all of them there are not missing this. Jesus begins to ask the question, looks to Peter, and you know, you know, Peter's kind of wondering, does this disqualify me? Am I done? What role am I going to have in the future with this movement or what God's doing? I, did that end it for me? Uh, is there any coming back after what I did? And so there around that fire, Jesus comes to, to Peter the failure, the one who did not love Jesus, that did not have the will to good at the moment when it mattered the most. And Jesus asks him this question, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asks, just as Peter denied him three times, three times he asks, and each time, though, in the response, when Jesus is saying to Peter, feed my lambs, feed, care for my sheep, ship, uh, feed my sheep, that's a reinstatement. That's, that's saying to Peter, I do want you to lead this movement. I, you, you are reinstated. I'm not done with you. I'm not turning my back on you. I want to know, do you love me? But, but I'm giving you that job. You're still the guy. And so in this, uh, Jesus is probing the heart of Peter, but at the same time, he's stroking it, and he's, he's meeting his need in that moment, and reinstating him and telling him, my confidence is in you. I don't have a plan B. It's you. Now pick it up and go. I, I need you to lead this, this movement. So Peter is reinstated. He's lifted out of the ashes, as that song that we just sang. Peter is lifted out of the ashes of his failure. And why is that? It's because the kind of love that Jesus Christ has, it's because the kind of death that he died was to pay the penalty for those kinds of failures. Now we can put ourselves in that. I mean, who hasn't failed Jesus? Who hasn't failed those that are around us, those that we love the most? And it's this, this kind of death that Christ died, a propitiatory death that pays the penalty for our failures, for our uh, law-breaking, for our sin against God. Jesus meets our need and has the will to good for us. So if love is the will to good, and just like with my wife, if I want to really love her, then I've got to find out, well, what is that like? I mean, what do you want? How can I meet your needs? Talk to me. Help me to understand. You know, you women are really different. 
and you think different. I don't get it a lot of the time. Um, but I'll listen and I'll try my best to try and understand what is it exactly that you want so that I can try to meet that need. And I think that's exactly what we need to do before Jesus Christ. We need to come before Him, bow before Him, thank Him for the un unbelievable love that He has poured out on us and just listen to Him and ask the question, Jesus, you've asked me, do I love you? You know, sometimes I, I do get a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings towards you. When we sing, sometimes I raise my hands. It helps the warm, fuzzy feelings to come. Those are good things. But how do you really want to be loved? What is it that you want from me exactly? How could I express to you back an appreciative kind of love for the kind of love that you've given me. And I think this passage uh, tells us, and I think the Bible tells us, and the Bible is crystal clear about this. How is it that we love God? We love God, the Bible tells us. John has been very clear about this. That we love God by keeping His commands. And so... Uh, Jesus is telling uh, Peter, do you love me? If you're going to love me, here's what I need you to do. I need you to feed my lambs. I need you to care for or shepherd my sheep. I need you to feed my sheep. I need My people are going to need care, oversight, mentoring, support. I need you to do those things for my people. If you want to love me, love my people. And that's very crystal clear in the Scriptures. John 15, 12. My command is this, Jesus says, Love each other as I have loved you. So if Jesus were here, and if I'm reading His Bible, and I think what He would tell us, because I'm hearing it from His Scriptures, and if I were to ask Him, Lord Jesus, You tell me, I want to love You in the way You want to be loved. What does that look like? I think Jesus would say to us, you know, my body isn't physically here. You can't express, I don't really have needs. You can't meet my needs. But the way that you can express love to me is by loving my people. By meeting their needs. By caring for them. By expressing the will to good in the lives of my people that are around you. I need you to shepherd my sheep. Now, I've been at that, shepherding sheep, you know, as a pastor. You know that term, pastor? You know, that's, that means shepherd, same thing. That's actually what that word is, pastor, shepherd, same thing. Uh, I've been in this job, this role, for 25-plus years, depending on when you start it and how you count it. Um, and uh, as I think about it, it seems to me like the whole shepherding thing shakes out into three or so categories. And... And if you look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 6, Peter writes about shepherding. And don't you think that after this statement of reinstatement, that these are kind of Peter's marching orders, I need you to shepherd the sheep, that Peter over the last, whatever, it's probably been 30, 40 years, I didn't figure it out, to when he wrote 1 Peter, uh, he'd given some thought to this and a lot of experience and a lot of background of doing exactly what Jesus told him. And so I think it bears looking at what Peter later learned about shepherding. And he writes this, To the elders among you, he's instructing uh, other shepherds in churches, 
I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of the God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, and, and uh, not lording it over these entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so I think there are three kind of general areas that relate to shepherding. It's care, it's oversight, and it's being an example. And I would say that means mentoring one another. And so there's these three different categories of shepherding. If we're going to love Jesus, we need to think about how am I involved in this, in, in the care, the oversight, and the mentoring of Jesus Christ's people. Shepherding as oversight, that's the role of us as staff, pastors, of elders, of ministry team leaders, of adult Bible fellowship leaders. Uh, our role is the oversight shepherds of the church. You know how many people we have in this church? There are over 1,000 people. And just as Dan said a little bit ago, there's somebody who's been here for a couple of years and he hadn't met him yet. That's happened to me. There is no way possible that we as staff pastors can be this kind of personal shepherd to 1,000 people. So I know a lot of you are thinking out there, this passage is saying to you shepherds, uh, you know, to shepherd the sheep. I'm saying that's everybody's job. Jesus is saying this to all of us. My job is as oversight and as many as I can to personally be that person who cares and who mentors as many as I can. But that's not very many that one individual can give that kind of personal care to. Uh, this is everybody's job. We're all called to the role of shepherd. You might even be thinking, well, yeah, you know, but I'm not like a Peter. You know, when Jesus said this to Peter, think about this. He'd been a follower of Jesus for two and a half years. How long have you been following him? He was probably in his 30s, not any later than late 30s, probably younger than that. And John, who was with him, who I think got the same commission, was certainly not more than much more than 20. How old are you? See, I think you're far more qualified, most of you, far more qualified to take up this mantle of shepherding than Peter and John ever were at this point. So you can't wiggle out on this one. Uh, this is for you. You are a shepherd. reading in a book by uh, Bobby Clinton and Paul Stanley about mentoring, uh, which I think this is the shepherding role. And so uh, to think about what are all the different ways that you could be a shepherd, um, that you could mentor others around you. There's the role of discipler. We've got sole purpose groups. We need people who lead those groups and get people into basic discipleship courses to show uh, newer believers the basics of how to live the Christian life or even for those of us that kind of need a refueling. Uh, to get into that and have someone that's just a step or two ahead of the hounds to kind of help show people how to do this. There needs to be spiritual guides that come alongside and, and help people with, with uh, spiritual needs that they have to sort it out and figure out how to apply it. They need coaches, people who will teach a skill or motivate to serve in a certain way. You know how to do something in the church. You know how to do something in the body of Christ. You need to coach somebody else to figure out how to do that and to help them or in their marriage or as parents or any number of lists of things. Counselors are shepherds uh, who give perspective and timely advice when needed and wisdom for how to live life. 
Uh, and that doesn't, you don't need a degree for that. You know how to do stuff. There are certain things that you've been through that you can go back and help somebody else through as well and be their counselor. Teachers in ABFs and Sunday school classes and with youth and from the front up here and wherever else to teach the Word of God because Jesus said, feed my sheep. And what do we as the followers of Jesus need more than the Word of God taught to us so that we can, can feed on it and live on it and live by it? And then sometimes a sponsor to be an influence and to protect and to, to be a source of some pull to help people to, to get into to a, a new position or a role, to, to, to stand up and be an advocate for somebody at a certain point. And there are contemporary models we can learn from other people, and I'm not ready to be an historical model yet, but uh, they can be helpful as we read about those that have passed on. And then that divine contact, the right person at the right time, to, to be ready that that when somebody is in that moment of suffering, that you're the one that steps up and says that kind word that puts your arm around them. And at just that moment, you are the shepherd that they need. See, this shepherding, it's not like one person does it for one person all their life. Mentoring's not like that. Care isn't like that. It's the body that does this thing. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 is another passage on shepherding. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be the pastors, your Bible might say, but I'm going to retranslate it because it's the word in the text, the shepherds and the teachers. What and what for what? To prepare God's people for works of service. The next slide. That prepare, to prepare uh, God's people to serve, sometimes translated to equip, the Greek word is kartitizo, and literal, it means to, to mend broken bones. Other places in the Bible, it's, it's used to describe the mending of the nets. And I don't think that's any kind of an accident that we talked about the church being this great trammel net of God that's pulling in the harvest. And what goes wrong with the net? It gets torn. And what's the net? It's the church. It's the body of Christ. It's the people. We are the net. We are the ones that as we spread out in the community and around the world, we are the net that brings in the harvest. And if the net is broken, if the net is hurting, if the net is lost, if the net is confused, if the net lacks wisdom, if the net lacks knowledge, if, if those that are bringing it in need mending, then essential to the accomplishment of the task is the mending of the nets, which is the shepherding of the church. Now that's a great church. I mean, think of that. That's the kind of church we want to be. You think about reinstatement, like Peter. You know, those that have failed to say, just as Jesus absorb your sin against Him, I absorb your sin against me. I forgive it. I, I release you from it. I want you back in the body. I want you to serve. I love you. And then a church that where the whole body understands its shepherding role and that you're, you're looking around, you're watching. Who needs to be discipled? Who needs to be guided? Who needs to be counseled? Who needs to be cared for? We as leaders are, are wrestling always with how can we do this better? How can we give oversight to the body of Christ? so that better and better and better we mend the nets and we keep the body healthy and we are reinstating and we are raising up and we are healing 
And we are sending out this great net to bring in the harvest. That's the church that Jesus Christ wants. And if we want to love Jesus, if we want to hear His voice this morning and hear Him say to us, Do you love me? Then be that kind of church. Do you love me? Then be a shepherd to my people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and confess to you At least I do. Um, I get I'm, Again, I'm very busy doing your things. But I always stop and ask you, what do you want? And I hear from your word that mostly what you want is for me to love your people and to meet their needs, to have the will to good for them. Lord Jesus, this is a challenge. It's not a decision that's made right here now. It's a beginning point to make a decision now. But each day, I need to get up and ask the question, do I love you? Will I love you today? as expressed by how I treat those around me. Uh, Lord Jesus, out of the ashes, you, you lift us up and reinstate us. And Lord Jesus, out of the ashes, we can pull up others by our love and by the mending of the nets, by the fixing of the broken bones, by the shepherding care and love and oversight that we give. We can become the church that glorifies you, that truly expresses the love that you want from us. Help us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.